So last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Guaranteed Ways to Ruin Your Life. And over the course of this series, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about four things, four things that you need to avoid like the plague because they, will, they are guaranteed to ruin your life. And if you missed last week, uh, we talked about pride, and we kind of laid pride as the foundation for this entire series. And so if you missed that, I would highly encourage you to go catch up on our podcast or YouTube and stay up to date on the series. I think it's really, really helpful. But tonight, the, the thing that is guaranteed to ruin your life is actually a game that all of us play. It's a game that everyone plays. Um, any, any gamers in the house uh, any video gamers in the house? Just a few of you I see in the front row. Don't be ashamed. I know. I've been to your house. I've seen every Xbox. There's five of them. Uh, and so, uh, or, or maybe you're a, um, a, uh, an old-fashioned gamer, like a board gamer. Any board gamers in the house? Card games, that kind of thing, okay? How many of you hate games altogether? You're not a gamer? Yeah, I knew you did. I knew that about you. I was a little disappointed to know that, but... Um, I love games, so whether you're a gamer, not a gamer, maybe you don't like games because you can't win at games, um, maybe that's why, uh, but you've you just never been, <laughs> I'm kidding, you've never been good at games, okay? Regardless of where you are on the gaming spectrum, this is a game that you play, this is a game that all of us play, uh, that there's no exceptions to who plays this game, but we play it to our detriment. Because you or I cannot win the game that we play, and if we play this game long enough, it will ruin your life. And the game that I'm talking about, the thing that I want to talk about tonight for a few minutes is the comparison game. The comparison game. Everybody plays this game, and whether you're really good or really bad at real games, everybody is really, really good at this game. That it's almost, to, to, to compare is almost to be human, it's how natural it is, that, that we spend so much of our time and so, so often in our lives looking to our left and to our right, looking around, looking in front of us and looking behind us and comparing ourselves, scrolling through our timelines, swiping through stories and comparing ourselves to other people, comparing where we are and how we're doing to where other people are and how they're doing and even ascribing value and worth to ourselves based on and compared to other people. Uh, you do it ever since you were like a kid. And for me, I mean, you, you do it, you know, the second you start noticing differences, the second you start comparing yourself to other people. But for me, and, and maybe that's the case for you, when it really started to take hold of my life in a way that was ugly, in a way that wasn't really helpful for me, was middle school. You know, I was like, hey, middle school and like everything matters a little bit more. The clothes you wear matters and how you look matter. And when I was in middle school, the, the clothing line of choice, if you could afford it, was Abercrombie and Fitch. Like it's just what you, it was you, is that, it, it, did it, it still exists today, I think. Does anyone, is, people still wear it? I mean, it was, it was, the, I don't think so. It was the thing and it was crazy and it was so expensive and my dad hated going into the store because the music was too loud, okay? So I did not have a lot of Abercrombie and Fitch. What I had a lot of was the old man's Abercrombie and Fitch back then, which was Old Navy. And so, but Old Navy's killing it today, so ball never lies, am I right? Um, and so the strong will survive Old Navy all day. But back then that was not the case, okay? And I remember I'd walk in with Old Navy and over the course of a couple of Christmases, I accumulated a couple of Abercrombie and Fitch shirts that I would wear on a regular, like once a week, I'm, wearing, I'm cycling two shirts because it's what everybody wore. Uh, the shoes that were huge back then were Air Force Ones, 
Like they had just come out, like Nelly had just dropped the Air Force One song when I was in middle school. So like everybody wanted a pair of Air Force Ones. The song came out, not the shoes, but, but the song. And so everybody wanted a pair of Air Force Ones. I did not have a pair of Air Force Ones. I wanted a pair of Air Force Ones. You know, my parents thought we were talking about the airplane. I'm like, no, mom, gosh, Israeli parents. I'm talking about shoes, you know. But my wife, this past December, like last month, she got me a pair of Air Force Ones for Christmas. Let's go. My sixth grade self would be so proud of me. I finally got my pair. 25 years too late. But, um, but it's all I wanted. And so I just remember in middle school, I'm comparing the things that I'm wearing to other people. And I want to wear the things that they're wearing. You remember what it's like in middle school, right? And then you like go to someone's house and like, man, this basement is dope, you know? And it's like, this kid's got the cool basement. Like, I don't even have a basement, you know? And and you're just comparing and you're comparing and you're comparing. I mean, you're comparing all sorts of things. You're comparing book bags. You're comparing. I was comparing social circles, where I sat at the lunch table with who sat at the lunch table, who I sat next to at FCA and who he sat next to at FCA. I mean, it was crazy, right? But then, I mean, it never goes away. High school, you start comparing yourself athletically. I did that, but thankfully, I wasn't crazy athletically gifted, so there wasn't much to compare. So I was, you know, God saved me from that. Uh, but... You just compare and you compare and you compare. And, and I'd like to tell you that it goes away when you get to my age and you get a job and you get married and have kids, but it only gets a little bit worse. I mean, for me right now, I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys now and a couple more times throughout the course of this message. But I mean, it's so easy for me to fall into this comparison game right now. I mean, we're, we're adding a, a baby in April. I can't wait to meet her and I can't wait to introduce her to you guys one day. But, um, but, but so we got to get a bigger car, a family car, an SUV or a van. And them junk expensive though, you know what I'm saying? Like, boy's a pastor, you know? And, and, and I've got these friends that are growing families and they're buying like Denali's. I'm like, can I get a, I can, get a, I can afford a 98, you know? It's like, how did you get that? And, 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 and you know, they, they, they got better paying jobs than I do and they can afford that kind of thing. And I'm like, I wanna get my girl a nice car and I don't know how to do it, you know? And, and I love my house. My friends are moving into these like nice houses. I'm like, man, what do you do? I thought I knew you, you know? The comparing doesn't stop professionally. It's so easy for me to fall into it. Comparing myself to other pastors, comparing you know, my sermons to other sermons. I mean, it is so easy to slip into and to fall into. And it's a part of your life every single day. Everybody plays the comparison game. There's no exemptions. Everybody plays it. I mean, you're comparing yourself left and right, the things that you're wearing, the, 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 you're single, he's, you know, he's dating somebody, she's about to get married, she's got a ring on her finger, and yours doesn't. Like, you wish you could get a tan line. You know, like, you, you want, like, you don't have any of that, or, or your roommate got into that major, and you didn't, or, or he got that interview, and so you're still waiting to sniff yours out. Somehow, he drives that car, and you don't. Somehow he's able to make that kind of money in college or she's able to make that money in college and you are not and you're comparing. You compare social circles and isn't it so crazy in this day and age? Because of social media, it's become even worse. Social media has made comparison a hobby. I mean, it's just, it's just so natural. I mean, you get, on, you get on social media, on Instagram and it is so easy to begin to compare yourself to other people. It's already a natural thing in the heart of a human and then Instagram and social media just pours gasoline on top of it. I mean, with every scroll and with every swipe, we're seeing what people are wearing and we're seeing the vacations and trips that they're on and we're seeing how perfect their life is and we're seeing their, the fun that they're having and you're seeing uh, the relationships that they have and you're seeing all the sweet things that he does for her and all the sweet things that he does for, or he does, her, she does for him. And you get a window into somebody else's life and it's almost just natural to start to compare what you see to what is true about you. 
just pouring gasoline on the fire. But if I could for just a minute about social media, it's so interesting that we let that be such a window of comparison because you know this, you know this. Yes, it is a window into somebody else's life, but it is a perfect window into somebody else's life. I love what Carl Lentz says. We post the best and hide the rest. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what happens. And I know some people are like, no, I post some really real posts sometimes. Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. Long post alert doesn't mean it's real, okay? Like, I'm not knocking Instagram and I'm not knocking social media. I just want us to look at it with the right perspective. Because do you know what we do? This is so fascinating. We don't compare our posts to other people's posts. You know what we do? We compare their posts to our real life. We're not even comparing apples to apples. We're comparing apples and Toyotas. Like it's not even the same family. Like we are comparing our real lives to the equivalent of a reality TV show. We're comparing the wrong reels. You're comparing your reel to somebody's highlight reel. Wrong reels. They're not the same reel, but we do it. We can't help it. There's something about it. We compare our reel to their highlight reel. We forget that it's not real. We forget that it is a perfect glimpse, yet we do it anyway. Researchers tell us that uh, the more you interact with social media, the more likely you are um, to become and to struggle with depression. And I mean, I get it, I get it. Like if you're constantly comparing yourself as you're scrolling what you see and what you don't have and what they have, the followers they have and the influence they have, the opportunities they have and the life that they have and the likes that they get. I know it sounds so dumb, but come on, y'all been there. Five likes away from a personal best, you know? It's like, will they notice if I double tap my own picture or? You've probably heard this. Instagram is experimenting now in seven countries, taking away you being able to see the likes that other pictures have, that you might be, you'll be able to see them on your own account, but you won't be able to see others because it's become such a distraction. They wanna take it away and they just wanna be able to focus on the idea of sharing pictures and media. It's so hardwired into everything that we do. Here's the thing about comparison though. It is a game that all of us play, but here's what you need to understand. It's a game that you will never win. And it is a game that I will never win. And it is a game that we will play to our detriment that there's no winner in the game of comparison. In fact, there are two outcomes of you and I playing the comparison game, neither of which are going to lead to the full life that Jesus wants for you. To play the comparison game, one outcome for you and for me is this, that you'll grow envious of others. That is one guaranteed outcome of playing the comparison game. You will, I guarantee you, you will grow envious of other people. And do you know how I can guarantee that? Is because I can also guarantee that no matter who you are, you are gonna find somebody that is smarter than you, that is better than you, that is prettier than you, that is thinner than you, that is stronger than you, that has more followers than you, that is more hipper than you, that dresses better than you, that has more friends than you, that is dating somebody and you're not. I mean, I guarantee you, there is somebody who is blanker than you. And because that's the case, you're going to run into that person or compare yourself to that person and you will grow envious of that person or those people. Here's what envy is. Here's what envy says. I want what you want. Envy says, I want, I want, I wanna have what you want. And envy is so toxic to your heart mind 
and soul. It will suck and drain all the gratefulness out of your heart and create bitterness in a cold heart. Envy is so toxic. You know what envy will lead to in your life and in mine? It will lead you to be angry and bitter. That you'll be angry that what is true of them isn't true of you. You'll be bitter that they have what you want. You'll spend so much energy desiring what they want that it'll make you angry and bitter that your life doesn't look like their life. Envy will also lead you to question your self-worth. That you're so stuck and we're so stuck comparing and measuring ourselves up to other people who have more, who are better or smarter or thinner or prettier or more influential or whatever that er is for you. And you'll start to doubt your self-worth. You'll start to question your value. Because the heart of comparison is this idea of I am blank. I am not blank enough. I am not blank enough, however you'd fill that in, and you're seeing somebody who is, and you're comparing yourself to somebody who isn't, so you'll start to question your value and your identity and your worth. Envy will do that. Envy will actually lead you to being overly critical because you want so badly what somebody else has that it'll just lead you to be pessimistic about everything. You'll point out all the negatives because you don't want it to go well for them. Your roommate might walk in and be like, yeah, I got 100. And you're like, well, you should have tried harder. You know, it's like you look for any opportunity to, to, to say something negative or to be pessimistic. Envy will do that to you. Enviness will make it impossible for you to be grateful. It will be impossible for you to be grateful because you're never going to be grateful for what you do have when you spend so much energy looking around, looking in front and looking behind and focusing on what everybody else has. You'll never be able to be grateful for who you are and what you have when you're so focused on everybody else. And then the last one, and this is a wake-up call for some of you, the Jesus followers in the room, this is a wake-up call. Envy, envy will also lead to a lack of trust in God. Because here's what envy says. Envy says, I want what you want. God, how come I don't have what he has? How come I don't get the opportunity that she got? How come I'm still single? How come my life doesn't look like that? How come it isn't my turn? How come I don't have that job? How come I didn't get into that major? How come I didn't get that interview? You need to hear me say, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I'm gonna make a really, really bold statement, but I believe it with all of my heart. You cannot be envious of others and fully trust God with your future at the same time. Because what we're telling God is, you're doing it wrong, and I know better. Envy will breed that in you and in me. And I can't help but think as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about the word envy. And, and, and this is going to sound funny, but I thought about how close it is to the word ivy. You know, ivy, that stuff that grows pretty on like exposed brick, you know, and it just looks so pretty. And, 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 and if you've ever, you know, London, they, I just think of London. I don't know that I've ever seen it in London. But, uh, you know, you, it's like these pretty cottages and it's got ivy that grows up on the side. Ivy kind of seems like, oh, that's really pretty. Unless you own a home and you've got an ivy problem. One day you're going to own a home um, potentially and you're going to have an ivy problem. We bought a house uh, two years ago in the backyard. Half of it was taken over by ivy and it was a disaster. Because ivy, that junk will grow and it'll grow and it'll grow and it is uncontrollable. Like weed killer can't kill ivy. 
and it grows and it spreads and it sticks to anything that it grows on. That's why it can grow vertically and it'll begin to suck the life out of anything that it's growing on. In fact, we cut down 10 trees in our backyard uh, this past year and four of them, four of them were dying because ivy had grown up on the trunks all the way to the top. And I'm talking about 100-foot pine trees. Ivy was sucking the life out of these trees. And the only way to kill ivy, you can't just spray it. You've got to cut it out at the root and pull it out all together. It's exactly what envy does. It'll spread, and it is toxic, and it'll suck the life out of your heart and out of your relationships. And the only way to move past it is to cut it off at the root and stop playing the comparison game. Because I guarantee you, you will grow envious of others. That's one outcome of playing the comparison game. That's an L. But there's another outcome of the comparison game. Because just as there is somebody who's going to be smarter, better, uh, prettier, uh, you know, happier than you, the interesting thing is you will be that er to somebody else. That somebody will look at you and see you as happier, smarter, thinner, and prettier. So one direction is that you'll grow envious of others. The other is that you'll start to believe that you're superior to others. You start comparing yourself to people that, 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 that you start to believe, oh yeah, I'm better than I'm smarter than, I'm prettier than, I'm thinner than, I'm more influential than. And all of a sudden, you start to drink your own Kool-Aid. All of a sudden, you start to think you are somebody because you are measuring up to somebody that you think you are better than. You'll start to really believe you're superior to other people. That you'll look down on other people, you'll judge other people, you'll secretly laugh at other people because you think that you are better than. See, it doesn't matter how you slice it. You'll either grow envious of them or you'll think you're superior to them. A heart of envy or a sense of superiority. This is not a game that you or I can win and it lead to anything good in your life. In fact, it will ruin it. And, 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 and here's the, the crazy thing about comparison is that it actually happens to the people that are closest to us. It's so interesting. Like, like, I'm not walking around comparing myself to Steph Curry and Taylor Swift. Like, I'm not so angry that they have more money than me, you know? Like, I'm not growing bitter at Steph because he's rich and I'm not. I love Steph. Like, he's a Christian. We should be friends. Um, like, like, it's just so beyond me. And, and I don't mean this, I don't mean this insensitively. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm trying to speak to the psychology of this, that research also tell you. It's also why I'm not walking around and looking at somebody who's homeless and saying I'm superior to them. You know who we are most, this is one of the ugliest things about comparison. You know who I am most likely to compare myself to? People that are right there in my sphere of influence. People who are right there in my circles of influence that you are more likely to compare yourself to a best friend that has something that you want and you'll start to grow envious of that person. That, that you are very, very likely and more likely than just about anybody else to compare yourself to that roommate that, that got that interview that you didn't and you'll start to grow envious and angry and bitter. 
that, that you are much more likely to compare yourself to a brother or a sister that seems like they have their life all together and you're trying to figure out what you're going to major in. I'm telling you, you'll start to grow envious that there will be some of you one day that will be asked to be in a wedding, you'll be asked to be a bridesmaid and you will grow envious and not be able to celebrate that person who asked you to stay next to them on one of the most important days of their lives because you are envious that you've been single for two years. One of the ugliest things about comparison and envy is that it usually happens with those closest to us, the ones that we're in closest proximity to, our peers, our family, and our best friends. And let me just tell you, there is not a relationship on the planet that can thrive, survive, or be mutually life-giving whenever there is envy or a sense of superiority. In fact, with every comparison, you're just driving a wedge deeper and deeper and deeper that is separating that relationship. It is oh so ugly. That's why Solomon, he wrote this about envy. He said this, he said, a heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Something that is rotting is void of life. James, the very brother of Jesus, said this in James 3.16. He said, for where there is, uh, for where you have envy, and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. That it's gonna rot the bones, it's gonna rob you of life personally, it's gonna rob you of life relationally, it's gonna rob you of life spiritually and emotionally, and then man, where there is envy and comparison, it's gonna lead to every other evil practice. I've said this often, and I'll continue to say it again, if you've been around, you've heard me say it. Sin an intentional departure from God's desire and God's best for your life, sin will always kill good things in your life. Sin will always kill good things in your life. And I'm telling you, comparison, comparison is always going to lead you to sin. And it's going to kill good things in your life. Envy, superiority, it's going to kill, it's going to ruin good things in your life. And what I'm about to show you is really, really cheesy, but I could not help but notice it. I can't believe it worked out this way. It's a complete coincidence because this is how the English language worked out. But as you sound out comparison slowly and you break it up, you know what you get? Compare a sin, compare I sin. Compare I sin, and it will kill good things in your life and in mine. There's no way you win this game, and there's no way that I win this game. It's a lose-lose no matter how you cut it. And Solomon, he, he, he wrote again, so he, he wrote a majority of, of Proverbs, but he also wrote this other, um, wisdom, this other piece of wisdom literature called Ecclesiastes, it's all about how life is lived best, and it's a little bit of a different tone and style than Proverbs. But King Solomon, again, if you don't know who King Solomon is, he was a king of Israel. He's the wisest person that ever lived. And you're like, okay, that sounds stupid. But what, you know, what we believe is that he, God literally said, Solomon, I'll give you anything, and he asked for wisdom. And so he got wisdom. He's the, people argue he's the richest person that's ever lived. If you count inflation, he's the richest human being that ever lived on the planet. So wisest person, richest person. He built the, the temple of God, I mean, which is where God resided in the Old Testament. I mean, this dude did a lot, had a lot, knew a lot. And he wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse four. He said that, and I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. 
This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He's like looking out and he's using hyperbole, but he's looking at his life and he's looking out and seeing other people and he's saying, listen, this is what I've perceived, this is what I'm understanding, is that so much of, of man's labor, so much of your striving is a result of envy of your neighbor. That so much of what we pursue, the things that we want, the person we want to be, the things we hope for in our lives spring out of envy for our neighbor. And he says it's meaningless and it's a chasing after the men. What does he mean by that? It's this, is that there's never a finish line. Like you're never going to get what you want to be fully satisfied. Like you can strive and strive and strive all that you want out of envy for another person but there's still always gonna be somebody better. There's still always gonna be someone prettier. There's still gonna be somebody thinner. There's still gonna be someone smarter. There's still going to be somebody that seems like they have more influence than you. There's still gonna be people that you would argue are more gifted than you. We'll get to that in just a minute. It's meaningless, he says. You are never going to feel satisfied if that is your motivation. If your motivation to be and to do and to achieve is out of envy for a neighbor, it's as pointless as chasing after the wind. When's the last time you chased after wind? Hopefully never. Imagine how meaningless that would, I mean, imagine how foolish that would be. You're like frolicking, trying to catch the wind. You can't catch the wind. You can't even see it. And that's his point. It's never gonna happen. So why try? Because it's only gonna really lead to a ruin. That's one issue. And then he goes on in verse five. And this is so interesting. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. So he's got this one extreme of describing somebody who achieves and he does and he does and he does out of envy for another person. But then here he says that the opposite of the, the fool that sits on his hands and does nothing. That person also ruins himself. I started thinking about this in light of comparison. Isn't it so interesting how sometimes comparison can actually lead us to sit on our hands and do nothing? Have you ever been there? Oh, well, I'll never be as good as, so I might as well not even try. I'll never have what they have, so I guess it just doesn't really matter. I'll never be able to do what he does or what she does, so I guess I shouldn't even try. That comparison starts to whisper to you and to me that just because you'll never be able to offer what they offer, that you'll never have anything to offer. That's absurd. That just because you'll never have what they have doesn't mean you'll never have anything worthwhile. That is absolutely absurd. You know that's not true, but it's what comparison allows us and forces us to perceive is true. And then Solomon, he, he drops this unbelievable bit of wisdom in verse six. He says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. I love this. He says, better is one handful Better is one handful with tranquility. Tranquility meaning peace and contentment and joy and happiness and satisfaction than trying to chase after two handfuls and toiling and chasing after the wind. That every single one of you have one handful 
You've got things in your life that you've got things to be grateful for. You've got ways that God has gifted you. You've got a unique calling on your life. You've got things that are true about you, that are unique about you, that are not true of other people. You've got good things going on in your life. We've all got one handful. And what Solomon is saying is that our tendency when we compare is to kind of scoff at this one handful and out of our envy and out of our comparison to reach for more, to try to be somebody that we're not, to try to get whatever somebody else has, to strive and to strive and to toil and to toil and to try to get that second handful. But what he's saying is to try to get that second handful is going to cost you more than it's worth and it's meaningless. Better is one handful of tranquility, being confident in who you are, confident in who God made you to be, grateful for what you have and walking in the purpose that he has for your life. Here's a question that is worth asking. Every single one of us are going to have a tendency to want to fill that other hand. But what is this other fistful costing you? What is this other handful costing you? Because I'm telling you, this other handful will cost you spiritually, emotionally, even physically. Because for some of you, this second handful will mean you're just gonna work yourself to death. And I'm not saying you should not work hard in school and I want you to have a good GPA, so if I get any emails from your parents, I'm gonna say y'all misunderstood me. But some of you guys are gonna work yourself into the ground because you're trying to match the GPA of your roommate when you are doing just fine. But you're gonna work yourself into the ground. You're gonna work yourself into the ground at work because you're not living in your strengths and who you are, you're trying to be somebody else. That second handful is going to cost you something. For some of you, it's gonna cost you relational health and relational tension because as you reach for that second handful out of envy, you're gonna grow bitterness and you're gonna grow anger and you're not gonna be able to be grateful and celebrate other people that it's going to ruin your friendships. That second handful, I'm telling you, it's going to cost you something. For some of you, for some of you, that second handful is gonna cost you financially. And I know you're like, no, I don't have any money. I'm in college, but I am telling you, there are some of you in this room that will go into debt to try to get that second handful. That you will look at a lifestyle for long enough and you will go into debt in order to get it. In fact, I'm not hating, I'm just calling it like it is. I bet you there are people in this room that have used student loan money to not pay for tuition, but to pay for something that you wanted because you saw something that somebody else had. That second handful is going to cost you. For some of you, and I don't mean this a joke, some of you guys are dieting yourselves to death for that second handful. You want to look a certain way. You want to be a certain something. And actually, before I move on, if that's you in the room tonight, would you let us help? Would you let us know? Because we want to walk alongside you because it is not worth it. I'm telling you, this second handful is going to cost you something. And it's meaningless. Because you'll never experience the tranquility of being comfortable and confident in the handful that God has already given and then he closes out the passage with this. He says, there was a man all alone, and he had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth because he kept looking to everybody else. And he asked this question, and it's such a great question. It's such a profound question. For whom am I toiling? What a word. Just use that word next time like in vocabulary, you know, talking to your parents. How's school? I'm just toiling so much. What the hell? Um, for who, who am I toiling? Like, who am I striving for? Who am I doing this for? 
Who am I doing this for? By the way, I didn't say the H-E word. I just, I, I meant to say heck and I didn't finish it. So if it sounded like that, I didn't. Um, for who am I toiling? Like, like, who are you doing this for? Who, who, who are you working for? What is your motivation? And then he says, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Because of my comparison and envy, why am I keeping myself from being to enjoy that one handful? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. The comparison game will ruin your life. There is no way that you or I can win. So what do we do with that? I wanna give you four questions. And with each question, I wanna give you something that you can do starting tonight. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these four questions down. With each question, I'm gonna give you one thing that you can do so that we can start to walk in that one handful, that one fistful that God has given you and he's given me. Here's the first question. I don't want you to answer this out loud, but here's the first question. Who are you trying to keep up with? Like you're reaching for the second handful. Who are you trying to keep up with? A roommate, a brother, or a sister, or a peer? Like who are you trying to keep up with? For me, this is so personal for me because for me, the longest time, I was trying to keep up with my brother. And the ironic thing is he's two years younger than me. But he uh, knew since he was in middle school that he wanted to be a doctor. And he's a, right, I mean, he's so smart. He's, he's chief resident at Emory right now. I'm so proud. I mean, it's awesome. And he's killing it. But for the longest time, I thought that I had to be a doctor. I thought that the only way my dad was going to be proud of me is if I was a doctor too. And so I was trying to, I was trying to keep up with my brother. And so my first year in college, before he was in college, I, I was pre-med for a semester. I did chemistry and I was like, my brain does not work like this. The only chemistry I knew was one day, hopefully I'd feel it with a girl because I hadn't dated in a long time either, okay? I couldn't keep up with him. I couldn't do it. And I tried and I hated it. I hated it. And I wish there was somebody that was willing to ask me the question, my man, who are you trying to keep up with? Stop. Do you know what I want you to do instead of trying to keep up with whoever you're trying to keep up with? I want you to forgive that person and I want you to run your race. I don't want you to run somebody else's. I don't want you to run your brothers or your sisters or your roommates. I want you to run your race. I want you to look at your handful. I want you to look at the way that God has wired you. I want you to look at the way that God has gifted you. And I want you to be confident in that gifting. I want you to be confident in the uniqueness that God has stamped on your life. You trying to run somebody else's race is you and I saying that God made a mistake. You trying to be somebody else is saying that God messed up when he made you. Let me just tell you, the God that we believe in isn't so small that he makes mistakes. That he's got you where he's got you on purpose and for a purpose. I want you to run your race, that your value and your worth, it does not and is not determined by whether or not you're able to keep up with that person that you think is the standard. Come on, your value and your worth is defined by a heavenly father that calls you a son and a daughter, that redeemed you, that sent Jesus to die for you. That's your value, that's your worth. It is secure, you don't have to worry about that. So I want you to run your race. I want you to be confident and comfortable in your own skin, that he's gifted you uniquely on purpose. So stop looking around and let's start running our 
race. Let's not reach for that second fistful and let's start running our race. I want you to run your race. Don't waste your time doing somebody else's. Second question. I want you to ask yourself, what motivates your actions? What is your motivation? Like, are you, are you, like, like, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because of envy? Or are you doing it because you genuinely want to be better and you want to grow? Like, are you striving after something because you want to try to be somebody else? Or are you striving after something because you want to grow and develop as a human being, which is normal? Like, are you striving to be somebody that you're not? Or are you really just trying to pursue where you feel like God is leading you? I want you to, to define your motivations if there is something that you are not sure of. And then once you define your motivations, here, here is a developmental plan for you. Like for those of you like, hey man, I get it, but like I wanna keep growing and like I, I wanna get healthier and I wanna be smarter, I wanna be better, not because I'm comparing, but I just like wanna be better and I wanna grow, da, da, da. I wanna give you a clear development plan once you've defined your motivations. Are you ready? Watch this. I want you to compare yourself to yourself. Don't compare yourself to other people. That's not helpful. Like you really wanna grow? And do you really want to run your race well? And do you really want to keep growing into the person that God has called you to be? Then I want you to compare yourself to yourself. Like for me, if I'm just being straight up, I want to grow as a communicator. I love preaching and I want to keep growing as a preacher. And you know what would be easy for me to do? Scroll through Instagram and listen to all these preachers that I follow and, and, and compare my sermons to their sermons. That's not helpful because I'm not them. I'm not their voice, and I'm not trying to be a copycat. But you know what is helpful? Let me compare my sermons now to my sermons three years ago. Did I grow? Did I develop? Am I striving to cultivate this gift that God has given me? I can learn if I compare myself to, my, to myself. So that's your development plan. That's how you grow and how you strive. You measure yourself to yourself, not to somebody else. So I want you to define what it is that's motivating you, and then I want you to compare yourself to yourself. Run your race well. One fistful, but I want you to compare yourself to yourself. The third question, who or what is envy causing you to overlook? God, this is so good. Who are you overlooking? Like you've got this fistful and you can't even look at it long enough to be grateful for what you have, for where you are, for the opportunities that you do have because it doesn't seem as good as somebody else's. For some of you, the thing that you want more than anything is a relationship. Did you know that a season of singleness is a gift? That most of you are not gonna be single for the rest of your life. And I promise you one day, you're gonna wish you could do whatever you want without somebody else's permission. What are you overlooking because of envy? What do you need to look back at that one fistful and express gratitude for? and be grateful for, that God has it for you, that you need to trust in his timing. Expressed gratitude, I'm telling you, expressed gratitude, it'll change your attitude. It'll give you perspective. And expressed gratitude, man, it'll remind you of God's faithfulness in your life. So literally, I want you to write it down. I heard Ben Stewart, who is a pastor that I love and respect and listen to a lot, and he talked about how before his quiet times, he like answers these questions. And, and so it got me thinking, man, what are some questions I want to be asking myself before I dig into my time with, with God's word? And one of the questions I came up with is, what am I grateful for? Because I want to put front and center, because my attitude, my, my, my default is to compare. But I want to put front and center the things that I can be grateful for and thank God for before I spend time with him. So I want you to, what is it that envy is causing you to overlook? Man, I want you to express 
gratitude. And then the last one, who do you secretly hope will fail? Ooh, stepping on some toes tonight. Who do you secretly hope will fail? You know, the sad reality about this is for a lot of us, it might be somebody that you consider a best friend. It might be somebody that you live with. It might be a brother or sister. And I get it. You're like, man, she's been in a bunch of relationships. Let me just get one. We can be single together for a little bit. She'll be fine. Can he not just fail one test? Just one. I hate physics. He apparently loves it. Can, we, can he just fail one test with me? That's it. Who do you secretly hope will fail? You know what's so fascinating about comparison? It causes you and me to live with a scarcity mentality. This is so interesting. What we actually start to believe is that if somebody is feeling joy, there's not enough joy to go around for me. That if somebody else is happy, then there's not enough happiness to go around for me. We treat joy and happiness as this limited commodity. Come on, it's not. But comparison allows you and I to perceive that it is and to live and to act and treat people accordingly. So you know what we need to do? I want you to identify who it is that you hope will fail and I want you to, I literally want you to turn and repent from that and I want you to practice celebrating others. If I'm just being totally frank, the sad reality is there are friendships in this room that you would put best in front of. And you would say, if you're being honest, you have a hard time genuinely celebrating your best friend that has something that you want. That they have the relationship that you want, the life that you want, the job that you want. Come on, it's gonna suck the life out of someone that you would say you are closest to than anybody else. So I want you to practice celebrating others. What if we use social media? What if we repurposed social media like we Joanna gains social media? And instead of using it as a tool of comparison, we use it as a way to celebrate people, to show love to people. So I want you to run your race. I want you to express gratitude. I want you to compare yourself to yourself and I want you to practice celebrating others. And, and can I just close with this thought, this, this story, I'm, if I could, are y'all okay knowing that I'm not perfect because y'all about to find out? Um, I wanna be really honest and vulnerable with you about how deep this can go and that nobody is above it. I mentioned to you guys often that I've got these group of guys that I do life with and one of them, uh, he's been my best friend since the sixth grade. His name's Miles and he leads a church in Auburn and I'm so grateful for that friendship. One of my best friends on the planet we talk on the phone literally three or four times a week. We're like girls. Um, and it's not like spiritual pastor stuff. We're talking about like the NBA and you know, all, sorts, all sorts of stuff. Um, and our families get to hang out and our kids get to hang out and it's so sweet. And I noticed something about myself and in my heart about two years ago. I started to notice, and I don't know where it came from, but I started to grow envious of somebody that I called my best friend. I started to wonder and become envy of the fact that he was leading his own church and I wasn't. I started to grow envious of, I mean, he gets to be the boss and I'm just a pastor at a church, but I'm not the boss. 
that he's getting to lead this brand new church plant and do this, all this exciting stuff, and I'm not leading my own church, and we're the same age, and I started to feel behind, and you know what I started to feel creeping into my heart, man, I feel so ashamed telling you, but I'm just being real. I started to feel my heart hardening and keeping me from wanting to celebrate and be proud of somebody that I called my best friend. And so literally within, within it just, I was so grateful I worked out, within a week or so of some of this stuff surfacing, he was driving through town and going to speak somewhere and he stopped in at Woodstock City to hang out for the afternoon and we we're just talking and hanging in my office and we had like a heart to heart. Like it was, it was great, like he was crying, I started crying about some stuff, it was awesome, all right? I'm, I'm telling you, it's like so real. But then I had to look him in the eyes and I wanted to root this out with everything I had. And I said, Miles, I gotta tell you something. I gotta apologize to you because I started to grow envious of you and I just told him everything. And he's like, what? Man, I'm like, I think your life is awesome, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, it led me to a point where I wasn't even gonna celebrate you. And I just want you to know that I'm sorry and I'm so proud of you and I am your biggest fan. I wanted to root it out so quickly because I wasn't going to let the enemy drive a wedge between somebody that I call a brother. Let me just tell you, it will creep into and kill any relationship if you let it, but nobody wins playing the comparison game. So I want you to run your race. I mean, come on, I'm growing envious of him and I have a dream job. I love this place. I love you. Me and my wife regularly talking about how we are so grateful for the season that we are in. But what envy does and makes me overlook this because for whatever reason I think I want this and it is so gross and I wouldn't want anything more than what I have right now but sometimes you just can't see it unless you're willing to root it out. So I want you to run your race. Compare yourself to yourself. Express gratitude and celebrate others. And don't let comparison ruin your life or the life that God has for you. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you for a space to have difficult conversations. I pray that your spirit would move and I pray that your spirit would convict our hearts and I pray that by the power of your spirit, we would begin to be able to root out the ugliness of our lives that is caused by envy and comparison and thinking we are superior than other people. Father, I pray you would give us the humility and the courage to face it front on and to do whatever it takes to root it out, to apologize to whoever we need to apologize to, to identify the ugliness in our heart that tends to be a result of comparison. Thank you that our value is secure in Jesus, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen.